Oh, kick it off? All right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Madcap. My name is David Ross. And I'm Daniel Bloom. Welcome to the final Madcap of the year 2018. As he lights a candle. I am, I'm going to light the ceremonial Robert Mueller Santo candle. Yeah, yeah. Let's see if we can actually hear the, the match lighting this time. Wow. Pretty good. That was strong. Yeah. I hope that's a good indication of what the Mueller investigation is going to be doing very soon. Because as we sit here, of course, Trump's head continues to be clamped by the vice, Uh the ever-tightening vice of Robert Mueller and his band of investigators. Oh, my God. There's a lot to find. Are you, so, the special lady friend, the plus one, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? The plus one. She's listening to Rachel Maddow's new, new oh, show. Oh, I haven't heard it yet. Bagman. Exactly. It's supposed to be great. Which is, which because is, we were talking about this, it's so, it's like all just like the same type of stuff. And I'm so glad somebody's finally doing a story on this, because in college, I read about this. Oh, about Spiro Agnew? Yeah, it was just literally just like a line. Spiro was accepting bags and cash. And I was like, wait, what? I'm, I'm like, sorry, what? <laughs> I'm like, they were just moved on. He was, he was from Maryland as He was well. governor of Maryland. Our home state. Listen, listen, but listen to the, um, we were listening to it this morning. Listen to, listen to some of that. Okay. And which, in this, in the, the Trump thing, somebody's already, somebody's already working on that. I feel like that, working on that breakdown of that podcast or oh, something yeah. like that. that that'll, that'll be interesting. Well, uh, it's also worth mentioning that the podcast Slow Burn by Leon Nafok and Andrew Parsons, uh, two people actually know is also phenomenal and deals with a similar kind of like hey this has happened before the first season was about the nixon resignation Mm -hmm. this season is about the clinton impeachment Mm -hmm. and just how crazy it was day by day and how now it all kind of seems like okay yeah that was inevitable but all the wild characters that were present along the way but you know i think it was mark twain who said uh history doesn't repeat itself but it does rhyme (laughs) it does and so we hear that all over the city now by the way about the Clinton impeachment adjacent or impetus for Clinton impeachment, I always found it very amazing that uh, Monica Lewinsky was shacked up in the woman's black church in her church. That's where she was. They, the church was holding her. Oh, like, yeah? That's the way, you know, the show Scandal, whoever that's based off of, like yeah. Olivia Pope. Yeah, yeah. That woman it was, it was helping Monica Lewinsky. And, like, when people were looking for her, she put him in, she put him in her church. Wow. <laughs> I'm just like, genius, because they ain't looking there. Gave her some sanctuary. <laughs> yeah, just sleeping in the basement. Before we get into <laughs> some of the recaps and things we wanted to talk about that took place this year, the wild developments in our lives, I wanted to give my Hero of the Year award to mm-hmm. Robert Mueller. Mm-hmm. Because he is just quietly amassing all these guilty pleas and all these convictions, and he's just waiting yeah. for the Democrats to take over the House of Representatives. I think when they take over, we're finally going to see like the full breadth and depth of what he's been working on. Yeah, this guy's to me. This guy's an American hero already. Yeah. We're, we're, we're def- you're definitely seeing somebody who's definitely carved himself. Uh, like who will have just like a whole section in the history book. No matter where this goes, yep. he will have a set because he's already shaking it up enough. It's just like same grin, same. It's, like, it's just like the same images. I just, I mean, like, man, I would love to see him at a cocktail party. And he's the exact opposite of Trump. Yeah. And what's crazy is Mueller represents the ideal of what Republicans are supposed to be. Yeah. And Trump represents the nadir of what yeah. Republicans have allowed themselves to become. So, I mean, I'm not a Republican, but it's wild to watch these kind of two exemplars of what could be and what actually is yeah. battling it out. Yeah. And we're going to see. We're going to see what happens. Yeah. But as you said, Mueller has already etched himself in, into the annals of history, and I respect him, which is why I'm lighting this lighting candle, candle at, the be- at the beginning. And you mentioned that you also have a hero of the year. Oh, yeah. My hero is Michelle Obama. Uh, Love her. Mainly because of the book. Uh, Becoming. 
becoming. Yeah, New York Times bestseller. Exactly. Did you see the gold boots that she wore in Brooklyn? I, I saw what with with uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah, yeah, with Carrie Bradshaw. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I did see them. Uh, Spectacular. Nice boots. I, I thought the dress was better. Yeah. I thought the dress was better, but like, uh, yeah, everybody was all big on these boots. I'm just like, hey, whatever, you know. The book was good. Yeah, I mean, without, I have not finished the book. I'm like halfway through, but the beginning, the way she talks about her childhood, just like how she like writes descriptions about just like every anything, just like from her parents to like her dad's love of their Buick or stuff like that. <laughs> it's just like it's a pleasant read. It's very literary, and it's just like for those who read like Dreams of My Father. I was impressed by how much I liked that book and mm-hmm. by how well written that was. And it'll make sense that this is his better half because this was you forget that there is there's gonna be a White House stay at the end of it. It's just like just like you're just right. reading a good book. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so it's just like, man, it's like I like I like I she has humor. I like the way I like the way she writes. I I I get it. I get it now. <laughs> I'm joking. I mean like no, nah, no, nah, maybe I'm not. But. There's a lot to get. I mean she is she's a spectacular woman. Yeah. yeah. Spectacular partner, spectacular mother. Exactly. To both her kids and to America. Exactly. Exactly. She's the good mom America needs. And she and her I feel like her foreword was just like very honest about like about who she was in that moment, how she was perceived, what she'd been dealing with. And so I was just like, All right, all right, you know, this is it's 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 time for you to speak up. I like I like it. I like it. I'm very I'm very excited to see. Because remember they haven't even like they haven't even gotten into that whole like Netflix deal that they're that they got right. and stuff like that. So yeah, like, yeah. So like th- their content will be very interesting. Absolutely, heroes of the year: Michelle Obama, Robert Mueller the third. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to have you over and to have a conversation about some of the things that have transpired in the second half of 2018 because mm-hmm. it's been a wild ride, and this podcast is the closest thing that I have to kind of a diary or better yet a historical record of what is going on in our lives, in my life, in our friendship. And so these two stories that I'm going to tell are related. Mm -hmm. And one of them is about finding the Lodestar. And one of them is about getting laid off. And these things happen in the same week. Sometimes I say, if you want anything to happen in life, if you want something to happen in life, be prepared for everything to happen at once. Yeah. That's kind of like a follow-on on be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Uh, because... Oh, boy. I mean, we, we all want to, like, have fun, interesting things happening, but you just got to be careful because sometimes all of it happens yeah. when you can't expect it. So, what happened was there was an anonymous op-ed that was run in the New York Times, and it was written by a member of the Trump administration. And their whole point of writing this thing was to say, we people in the executive branch, we are aware that this man is amoral, has no moral compass, but we like some of the policy things that he's doing, and we are the adults in the room, so you American public don't have to worry because there are some people here who are going to make sure that he doesn't go too far, Mm -hmm. basically. And I think a lot of people read that with great skepticism because it's like, well, if you're going to have the guts to write this, put your name on it. And furthermore, we don't believe you because you're just enabling this guy to kind of rip the country apart day by day. Yeah, and look how bad it's got. Vilification of people of color, of immigrants. I mean, the government's shut down right now as we speak. Things are really starting to hit the fan. Like Alabama Attorney General trying to figure out how to get this Roy Moore things figured out. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like... I didn't hear about that. 
Oh, well, he thought he thought there was like it was like illegal smear tactics and stuff like that at this gentleman. So I'm just like, yeah. come, I'm like, Roy Moore was Alabama, right? Absolutely. So, but um, the fact that we we've gotten to this place where we were de- we we're defending people are like going to war for for bad people. Absolutely. It's just like it's like all right, wow, all right, all right, all right. You know? Yeah, like the damage is being done right in front of our faces. <laughs> done. Don't tell me that you're the adult in the room keeping us from further danger. Like the damage is yeah. obvious and profound all around us so a lot of people including myself read that op-ed very carefully and something struck me as strange about it and that was this one particular word i mean i love words and we do a podcast we love to read the news you know we're devotees of the english language i had never even heard this word before i've never used it before and so it jumped out at me as a strange word choice for such a prominent placement as this anonymous op-ed that was going to be closely parsed and closely read. And this word was lodestar. Now, it means kind of the North Star or your guiding principle. It's like what you're here to do, basically, and, and what you're following. And so I thought, lodestar, what a weird word to be using at all. And then especially to be using in this context. So I thought this could be a clue in terms of who may have written the anonymous op-ed. So I did some Googling, and my first thought was, it's probably a military guy, Mm. because at the time, H.R. McMaster was in the administration. He's since departed. And at the time, John Kelly was the chief of... H.R. McMaster. What a name. (laughs) It sounds like something out of Harry Potter. (laughs) At the time, uh, James Mattis was the Secretary of Defense. He's gone. And at the time, John Kelly was the Chief of Staff. And now he's gone. And these are all high-ranking generals from the military. It just seemed to me to be like a military-ish term. Something that may have been used by old-timey seafarers, basically. So I start Googling the word Lodestar with these people's names. Nothing. No hits. But then, something strange pops up. And it's Mike Pence, Vice President Mike Pence. Did you see? Did you see um, like a PDF of a previous speech, or did you watch many his... speeches? Yeah. This is the thing. He hasn't just said Lodestar once. So what were you googling? Were you he googling has Lodestar, Lodestar Trump, Trump administration. I was googling Lodestar plus McMaster, Lodestar plus John Kelly, Lodestar plus Mattis. Okay. But something came up. It was like Mike Pence. So then I Google Lodestar plus Mike Pence. So many hits. He has said it in a speech at the UN. He said it in a speech in Japan with the with Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. Turns out he's said it for years, going back to transcripts of his radio show. Like What he, radio show did he Oh, have? Mike Pence had like a wild conservative radio show. Was it good? It was, it was banging. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of hits. <laughs> I think there's some gems to be found. <laughs> I feel like because people need to fill up time on the radio, and they say some outlandish shit. Was he doing this in any? What, what if they're an outlandish was he, was person, he in indie? I think he was in indie, but it, it may have been syndicated. <laughs> I'm not sure. So Get this this like <laughs> jumped out at me. I'm like, holy shit, Mike Pence says Lodestar all the time, like it's going out of style. This is one of his favorite words. (laughs) So within 18 minutes of the publication of this op-ed, I put together all my research and put out like a string of tweets and said, this is what I think. 
This is my guess. Pence. You were tagging the New York Times. I think so. Yeah. I tagged the New York Times, but I'm like tangentially connected to a couple of people. Yeah, yeah, good point. In DC media specifically, who might be paying attention to this. And so my thread starts to get picked up. Picked up by people from NPR, mm-hmm. picked up by people from the Washington Post. Mm-hmm. Even my boss at the time, Andy Bowers of Panoply, mm-hmm. he retweeted and was like, this is great research. This is like how they found out who wrote Primary Colors during the Clinton era. Who wrote that? Ron Klain. Oh, okay. And they figured it out by doing handwriting analysis of his notes that he had written in the margins of his manuscript. Oh, wow. So, I mean, I was like, okay, this is a good thing. And who knows? I might be right. So this starts to get picked up all over the place. The thing that I forgot to tell you about is that on Fox News, the vice president actually had to answer a question about this. Like, that's one of my crowning achievements thus far is that, like, somehow through this weird research, I was able to affect the news agenda and make Chris Wallace on Fox News ask Mike Pence if he wrote this anonymous op-ed. And I'm going to drop the clip in right here. Okay. One of the more unusual words in the essay is lodestar, which it turns out, people have looked, is a word that you have used many times. Sure. Must again be our lodestar. With vigilance and resolve as our lodestar. It really was the lodestar. Do you think someone purposely put that in the essay to try to set you up? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. And I, I really do believe that whether it's the book, whether it's the anonymous editorial, whether it's President Obama's speech this week. Please note that at no time in Pence's discussion of this op-ed has he flatly and unequivocally Said denied no. it. Yeah. He has always danced around it and used these qualifying statements well the first thing that his office said was the vice president signs his op-eds which is not no i mean there's it's clever it's a way to say this condition is true and since this condition is true your question or your theory could not possibly be true without denying it so this all took place really fast okay and what's crazy is this was on a wednesday on thursday by thursday my research or my supposition, my, you know, my theory had been picked up by the Washington Post, People Magazine, all these websites. Mm-hmm. It was being talked about left and right. And I was written about in the New York Times. I'm lucky that they actually cited my name. They didn't have to do that. But they said, Panoply podcast producer Dan Bloom postulated this theory and it spread out. And now people are kind of like looking askance at Mike Pence. That's the first time you ever postulated anything. Probably not, okay. but prominently, yeah. <laughs> so, th- so Wednesday, I did all this stuff. Thursday, in print, my name is in the New York Times as Panoply producer or podcast producer for Panoply, Dan Bloom. And on Friday, I got laid off all in the same week. Wow. It was probably the craziest professional week of my life thus far. And people have asked me, do you think your bosses? found out about that and fired you because of that. And I don't think so, because even though my my boss, Andy, had tweeted about it, I was actually at that point working for the business side of Panoply. Yeah. So my manager was somebody else. Yeah. And when they brought me in on the Friday, they called me in 
and I had no idea I was about to get laid off. And when I tried to argue, I was like, what you guys need more than anything is name recognition. Nobody can even pronounce your name. No, no. Panoply. People get it wrong all the time. Oh my God, this I'm like, do it all the time. It's I'm, ridiculous. I'm like, the free media exposure that I just got this company yeah. is astronomical. How are you going to let me go now? And they didn't even know about it. They were, they're ready to fire me, and they did not. They were not aware, these two people, the HR person and my direct manager. Yeah. So this was in the works for a while. And I, I do not believe that I got fired because yeah. of Lodestar. And that I'm even further emboldened in that belief because one week later, all the rest of the producers for Panoply were fired. Yeah, yeah. So they're like, it's because we don't have money, Daniel. Yes, this, this, is not about, this is not about you. <laughs> it's like if you this could, is about us. If you could convert that, that new, that, those new eyes into actual money. But even so, I mean, the die was already cast. The, the, they knew what they were doing with or without Lodestar. Like a weird business model anyway. It, it was. I mean, I'm not here to comment on that yeah. necessarily. But it's, it's just an interesting scenario where you accomplish something that's like perhaps the biggest thing you've ever done. And there were other people in my life who told me, you need to go into your boss's office tomorrow and demand that they double your Did salary. Did you talk to the CEO? Uh, have I talked to the CEO? No, actually, that's funny you mentioned that. Yeah. I don't think I've actually spoken to him since. You gotta go always, <laughs> always just email away. I guess so. <laughs> Even now, I've, I've thought about it because we were pretty close and we haven't really spoken yeah. since, since the whole thing went down. I think he feels pretty bad about it because he's kind of like this paternal type who had close relationships with a lot of people. Yeah. And he knew that like people were going to be out on the street basically because of their business decisions or whatever. I mean, I guarantee you, he probably knew you were in the news. I don't know. Or maybe he didn't. Or he probably didn't connect. He probably you because also people like that don't read the fine print. They're just like, all right, I know that a lodestar situation and Pence might have said something, but I didn't know it's our damn bloom that blew this up. Yeah, you know I, unless you're following the the story of Trump really closely, I don't think you would have known. I mean, it was the only way I found out about it because you were talking about. It, I didn't. I only was, was Geary because Geary's Geary the neighbor is like follows the administration. He kept being like, "Hey, hey, man, this is heating up. Like your your boy, like he's in something here." And I'm just like, "Oh my Geary, I don't, like stop bothering me." About that it. is hilarious. <laughs> It, it was a weird through the looking glass moment where yeah. like I'm following the news super closely and then suddenly my name is in the news. It was a it was a wild experience too because my best friend Gabe Silverman came over who's way more prominent and important in media than I am. Mm-hmm. He came over here just to see what it was what it was like that That's night. Funny. My phone was going berserk because of all the notifications. Like yeah. I was getting favorited and retweeted like crazy. Nice. That was a fun moment. Uh, I don't know how ultimately it's going to play out because. You know, I've lost, I lost my gig, and since then, I've had an opportunity to do some really cool freelance stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is one lesson of this experience is like... Follow it. Well, sometimes you get pushed out of the nest. Yeah. Like, I, I would never have quit Panoply because I'm just not that... I mean, this is one of my ideals. Not that I will never quit anything, but once I've committed to something that I believe in, it, it takes hell or high water to yeah. drag me away from that which I think is sometimes a good personality trait in terms of, like, loyalty to your friends and your family. But when you start to conflate, like, your loyalty with your job, I don't know. Like, I thought I was going to work at Sirius for my entire career. That yeah. lasted a good long time. So when you get pushed out of the nest, the cool thing is, if you are doing interesting work and you are an engaged person, sometimes weird stuff starts to happen. Exactly, And I mean that in a great way. As long as you're doing positive stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'll get to the story of going to Jordan 
in just a moment. But these two things, finding the Lodestar, which we're still not sure if it was Pence, but his lack of a strong denial and the fact that he's still standing, yeah. whereas the rest of these people are out, make me believe more and more. I mean, it's, it is possible. Yeah. I, I kind of moved on from it in that and literally just thought he did it. Like, I didn't... Because after all that, I'm like, all right, you know, I'm like, it was really final to me. Like, the case was closed. Well, when Mattis left, there was a whole other round of people speculating. Like, oh, oh was this Mattis? Who was this? Kellyanne Conway's husband, George Conway, who's a wild, interesting guy. Yeah. He's very much in slow burn because he was one of these, like, anti-Clinton activist lawyers back in the day during oh, the Clinton impeachment. Now he's up, up in, you know his wife Kellyanne Conway's grill tweeting all the time about Trump. He was like, hey, Anonymous, time to re-up this piece. Oh now, that, now that Mattis is out and everyone's like freaked out about what's going on with the country. <laughs> I still think one day we will find out. We will, like Deep Throat. <laughs> yeah. So you, this is related to a step that you took in your career many years ago where you had a full-time corporate gig, basically, oh, yeah. and you stepped away to do like creative, interesting <laughs> work Good. that was... Uh, Focused in the arts, generally. Did I tell you how I stepped away? Please tell me now. I went into HR's office and I fucking cried like a baby. Wow. I cried. About what? I was like, you all have given me an enormous opportunity here. I love you all. You all you all have let me, out of all the young people that were my level, they were letting me have free reign over everybody. I was able to do travel. All the other people were allowed to do tra- I was able to carve my own path. I am like, but I, this is not for me. I am miserable here. I feel bad about this, but I got to get out. Mm-hmm. And they were just like, I mean, I was like, I couldn't even talk. I was sobbing. And they were like, all right. I told them, I was like, I am depressed here. Mm-hmm. But which is also like a red flag for them. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like using, using that word. They're yeah. like, all right, all right. You don't need to be here, David. But they were like literally trying, like, I remember Jill Rogers, Jill Rogers, who onboarded me. And also, you know what I'm saying? Like, she was the one who, she was my go-to. Yeah. What she was trying to do, she was trying to help me. Um, Back then, I didn't understand the... uh allowing yourself to be terminated as, as opposed to leaving on your own will because uh-huh. I didn't want the termination thing on there yeah I just wanted but but it okays you for unemployment right you know what I'm saying I just wanted to make it seem like I left on my own she kept being like are you sure because we can make this look like terminated mm-hmm. you can get this money right of course my dumb ass like nah I just want to be I want to say I did this and then I went into the into like a dungeon of 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 poverty and like in like suicidal thoughts and like just deep sadness but good creativity that came out of it but like years and years of deep poverty but still and Edmund and I because I was living in Cleveland Park Dr. Edmund Wu Dr. you know what I'm saying Dr. Edmund Wu DDS. DDS yeah we were living in an apartment in Cleveland Park and so it wasn't until last week we were all like sitting around like having some cocktails we were talking about this and I was like I was literally like suicidal up in there I like wanted to like jump off of our balcony. Wow. I was like, I hate it. Like, you know, like I try to tell people all the time. I'm like, I was like, I wished I could have gone there and contributed, then gone home and then done my other stuff. I couldn't sit up in there and talk. About, we also, we were in a new office. We, we had just moved into a new office. I couldn't sit up in there and talk about government deliverables <laughs> and shit like that. And like, there was a thing called gophering mm-hmm. in your new office. So basically if somebody walks by, cause it's open, open floor plan, somebody walks by and you pop up out of your cubicle and yell them, you weren't allowed to do that. There was a limit on how, like, your desk at XM, no way. No way would they allow that. You could not have, uh, it was monitored how much shit you could have on thing. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? I used to write inspirational quotes on the wall. Right. On, like, little inspirational quotes on the whiteboard. They were like, oh, Somebody so. would erase it. <laughs> Somebody would erase them. 
That's a that's a metaphor. Exactly. So yeah. So thank you, ICF. You know what I'm saying like, <laughs> Whoa. yeah. I don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> <Not there now. laughs> I don't give a shit. There's still good people that work there, but I'm also sure it's like I was suffering mentally mm-hmm. there. Suffering. It was ha- taking a toll on me mentally. So it's like, would I trade that for the stability that that I probably could have had? Like, no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, no. Absolutely. Absolutely not. Because it was it was dark days. I was just a mean person. So I mean, like. Uh, to to actually acknowledge your your segue, which was a beautiful segue, <laughs> um, launched into a series of series of of work, a uh, series of missteps, but a series of also like exploration of creative like professional work that kind of gave me an understanding of like that marketplace and, and like what and, and where I actually and where I actually fit. I think Madcap was a really important and is a really important. Mm-hmm proving ground sandbox place where we could develop skills that we yeah. would both end up using and including a theme too, our third brother yeah yeah all three of us were using this platform as a place to develop skills that would end up being really important in our careers yeah going forward like at the time and directly afterwards yeah without a doubt and it's funny to me because your superpower on madcap was booking like mm. you were able to book people like tame impala that yeah. i didn't know we'd be able to book and because yeah. your philosophy was no one says no to us three times. Oh, yeah. I, I tell people that. that all the time. Yeah. Like, persistence is such an underappreciated ingredient of success. Yeah. It's crazy what people will give you as long as you're respectful, creative, and persistent. I'll lose my cool in certain situations, but you're real, unless it's in like a turbulent relationship or something like that, you're never going to see me lose my cool in an email. Uh huh. I don't care how many no's you give me. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, It's yeah. going to be the same, sorry, like, try completely understand, mm-hmm. semicolon, we'll try you, you know what I'm saying? We'll try, we'll try you, you again. Try you again. Absolutely. And then either they respond or they don't. But like, consistent, like being consistent, consistent persistence, mm-hmm. uh, if that works, put I those like two it. together. <laughs> um, and like, not losing your cool, because A, first of all, I'm a black dude. And a lot of these fucking outlets, Oh, sometimes they treated you. They're like, "You're lucky we're even talking to you." That's how some folks. So I have seen how other folks I know. You know I'm saying other like non-blacks how they'll flip out at like somebody not giving them what they want, and I'm yeah. like, I don't have that fucking option. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got to just eat it and come back and strategize. You know what I'm saying? Like, because I've worked with some people, they're like, well, fuck you, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you can't force them to come on your show right. or, or or play your show. You can't send an email saying, fuck you, or you can. I can't. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, like, the booking gave me an understanding of, like, never under, understate the power of a, of, a, of a strongly worded email. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Strongly worded email. I mean, like, because I'll do... I'll tell you about the uh, the Bush thing with uh, when Drew was like when Drew uh, did the documentary on like the presence of Taylor George DePerry. Drew, Drew Snadicky. Drew Snadicky. Snadicky. Yeah, our so, former intern and a very talented videographer. Exactly. He did this little piece on um, this guy George DePerry who who done the suits for 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 past presidents. Yeah, Taylor and, for past for past exactly. president, and de- dearly departed now. Yes, rest in peace. So I was like I was like all right I'm, I need to find like I'm like the only way this works is if I can get like a a presidential confirmation. You know what I'm saying? That's the only way this works. Right. So like, I'm looking around, I spoke to presidential foundations and stuff like that. So George Bush had just gone, George Bush, who, who recently just died, he'd gone into the hospital at the time. He had a spokesperson. His spokesperson, a Google, his spokesperson ran a PR firm, you know what I'm saying? Like, that does, would do like political packaging and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I emailed this guy, tell him this thing. And I'm just like, look, George DePerry, he said, did these suits, blah, blah, blah. Do you know if President Bush could confirm this? Gets back to me in 30 minutes being being like, because they, they only call it by the number. So I guess this would have been Bush 40, 
41. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So he was like, Bush 41 doesn't remember him. And I'm like, wait. I'm like, did you really just ask this man in 30 minutes? And I was, he was like, he's, he's like, he's, he's late 80s though. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, all right, but what about the other, the other one? What about the other Bush? He was like, I was like, give me, so he was like, all right, I'll give you the contact. Nice. So I email this guy, Freddie Ford, who's a spokesperson, sent this long thing. Two weeks later, Freddie, Freddie Ford is like, hi, David Ross. I can't, I can't confirm that, that a suit was done, but by, by president. So, and like, but long story short is literally through email, I am nobody, but through email, as long as it's, as long as it's written well, as yeah. long as you people, um, I don't know what you're asking for isn't crazy. Yeah, you know, uh, and also sometimes sometimes people just like want a little bit want a little bit of humor throughout the day. Like, all right, you know, this, this is a weird little thing that's coming through. I'll follow this. What, what, what are you bothering me about? This is painless. <laughs> exactly. It really is. It right. really is painless. You know what I'm saying? You don't need to be a dick. But I mean, like, the booking thing for Madcap, if, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes, of course, I would, like, use the Sirius XM, you know what I'm saying, alliance to, to, um, Absolutely. to do it. But I put it this way. There was only... The thing about that is, you got one chance mm-hmm. when you went into the room. If you did not... If you, if you fucked up the interview, you were not going to be allowed back. So they didn't care... About like people, the publicists are always on their side. They're always just like, "Yo, we just need your number to be bigger. We like you all. Yeah. The bands likes in you all. We don't have an issue with you all." Yeah. You know what I'm saying, but they want your numbers to be low. They want, they want you. We gotta sell this as as a viable outlet. So I mean, from doing that, it's like on email, I am dangerous if you just let me sit with a computer and like, cause I can I can find you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying, like, because yeah. people are always like, "How do you find these these contacts?" It's fucking simple. Right. Well, you know what I'm saying, you know, all these companies, all these big companies have a page for investor relations or a press release there is a contact there look how they do the fucking name yeah. you know what i'm saying the, like the naming convention exactly and then just you stick in the first initial that. and the last name or whatever and go for it that's exactly how you do it that's how i met with the director of the whitney we talk, we talk about being with the director of, uh, the director of the whitney i emailed this man <laughs> I, I emailed this man when i was at dupont undergrad i was like yo i'm like i need a mentor straight up i'm cool. like i don't know what i'm doing yeah and he emails me back being like hey david he was like sounds like a good project I hope the family's doing good. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, I, I, send, I send them a response being like, hey, like, I think you may think I'm the different guy. The previous director of the Whitney was named David Ross. Wow. <laughs> so I was like, listen, somebody much darker and much younger is going to come in the room. He was like, doesn't matter. He Fantastic. was like, he was like, so we set up that meeting. We're going to get to the, the stuff that you're doing now, which I think is fascinating about booking artists and bands. But I want to know, I mean, you did this thing in between that it was funny to me that I always treated Madcap as this like proving ground, training ground for us to become radio producers, audio yeah. producers. And you would always tell me, I do not want to become an audio producer. Okay. At least yeah. I remember you distinctly saying that at least once. And then turn around earlier this year, or maybe it was last year, and you're producing a show and working with Rod Strickland, NBA, yeah. NBA legend Rod Strickland. Yeah. One, how did that come about? And two, please tell the story about going to New York with Rod Strickland and interviewing Chris Mullen. <laughs> um, <laughs> Another NBA. Well, legend. he interviewed Chris, but I mean, like, but you don't even love sports. That's the funny part to me. You're just that's why it's good for me to do those things. Exactly. I can just zoom. I'm like, I'm. It's. I'm not emotional about it. All right. So, like, through Jeremiah Tittle, who you'm saying, who you know, our dear friend, through Jeremiah, yeah, and he he uh, had done this deal, like basically doing this thing for. This company at the time called FOMO Podcast basically like acquired acquired the show and was trying to produ- trying to produce the show. And it was he and Leron Prophet. Jeremiah paired Leron with Rod, another former pro. Exactly. And so like he wanted me to listen. Jeremiah wanted me to listen to it. 
and then talk to and then like we all got in this call so uh i listened to the show i was so opinionated about the show that jeremiah was like do you want to sit in on this and yeah. then like it ended up they're like all right do you just want to do the show awesome. because i listened because like rod one thing that i will always offend rod on rod's like a guy that is he's there when you need him uh-huh yeah you know i'm saying like he's like he's 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 forever a coach yeah because he's had amazing coaches yeah so it's just like spending time with that man all the time just like a lot of people i noticed my first time seeing him in person when i flew down to you know, driving around people names i can't mention literally calling him for advice cool being like i'm in this coaching job i got like the head coach says some nasty shit to these kids this is ivy league these kids ain't like us they ain't from the hood you right. know what i'm saying like and literally him talking to these dudes all former NBA guys talking to him and letting him know that his experiences in coaching, coaching at Kentucky, coaching in Memphis, you know what I'm saying, and doing all stuff. And so, like, I learned how many, like, people rely on him, whether it's, like, John Wall or stuff like that, rely on him just, like, on it. Because Rod played 17 years. Yeah. Coached a lot, too. You know, and so, like, Rod was living in Tampa because he was at USF, coaching at USF. And I think they all got fired. And uh, LeRon is down there, too. And so, LeRon's working for, like, Jordan Brand. They would record out of this place this studio in tampa uh and so basically we just do a weekly show do a weekly um and also do a podcast version which always, which is published by the shadow league which is based out of new york yeah um ran by this basically gm of that is this guy named yusef khan who's a really good dude as well mm-hmm. uh and so basically that was the part i would produce the on-air version produce the um podcast version rob was good at booking guests so the first guests were like um were really good so i mean like uh i think mike wilbon was the first one mike wilbon Kenyon Martin, um, Kenyon Martin's story was amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Was not, he was not planning to be in the league. It's like just mistakes, not mistakes, but literally like somebody being like, yo, like, you're kind of good on the basketball court. He yeah. was like, you want to come to practice? He was like, practice? He was like, what y'all doing? <laughs> he was like, what y'all showing up for, like, besides pickup for? You know yeah. what I'm saying? And like, yeah. then we had, uh, who was it? Had Isaiah Thomas, older Isaiah. God, you got the great guys yeah. here. <laughs> Isaiah's full of shit. <laughs> full of shit. He's yep. gotten in some trouble too for like sexual harassment. And he's full. Of sh- I mean, like he's like he's a <laughs> full of shit, and they know it. They all they know he's nasty in the court, but he like he'd be sitting there because like his whole thing. First of all, like just just like lies. Everybody just it's like lies, and they know it's like and they know and like literally the narrative is they know. But he was he was a monster on the court. There was no escaping Hall of Famer. that. And NBA he, champion, a monster. And he came. And he came from. He came from poor chicago mm-hmm. so it ain't like he earned it but certain things like personality stuff about him like like how the team acted and some of the pettiness he tries to pretend like that was not the case as if the detroit pistons weren't kind of a dirty team and oh, it's just like the shut dirtiest. the fuck up <laughs> you know what i'm saying or like how about some sore losers they just walk off the court you know what i'm saying like before the game ends that's like some middle school right that's some middle school shit yeah but uh but who else do we have in the show so we talk to me about chris mullen oh so they want to do a live podcast. You know what I'm saying? We talk about doing this live podcast with some of the old some of the old New York basketball guys. So Kenny Anderson was one of them. Nice. And the, Kenny Anderson had, had been who we locked in. I've been trying to get Chris Mullen for the show a while before and they weren't budging. And finally I was like, Rod, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to reach out on your own. Yeah. And um and Rod reaches out and Chris Mullen shows up. So basically the way we do it at this amazing space. Yeah, co working places, dude owns it in Brooklyn. Um and so a beautiful rooftop. And you were up at like six o'clock in the morning on the train. Yeah, you had come over here to borrow my soundboard the night before. Yeah, because like yeah, because Yusef, I was like, I was like, Yusef, you you give me up the night before. He's like, yeah, but I gotta get a hotel. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> exactly. He's like, so Dave, I'm gonna put you on the train. And I fell asleep. And he's like, text me like, Dave, Dave. And I'm like, like you, you good? I'm like, I'll be there, man. And so, uh, and so yeah. So like, um, long story short is, I get a text from um, the guy I've been trying to reach 
forever for Chris Mullen, texting me or calling me, be like, hey, David, so Chris is going to be on his way. Kenny Anderson and Rod are talking. Kenny Anderson's telling a great thing about like just like his like reacclimation back into the world after the league and how and like how how kind of hard that was for him to go and, back and be a yeah, normal, normal person. Exactly. And he also <laughs> just recently just took on the on on the um coaching job, the head coaching job at Fisk University. Mm-hmm. And so like I mean like so it it's in he's back he's he's back he's back doing what he likes to do. Yeah. And so Chris Mullen shows up right as the interview show. I mean Chris Mullen shows up bigger than everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize how big that bigger than Rod, bigger than fucking fucking Kenny Anderson, bigger than everybody. Just sits down and just like, just almost like twenty minutes just talking shit. That's you know what awesome. I'm saying? And like, I mean, because he's from Brooklyn, we were in Brooklyn, and like, and like Chris Mullen's backstory. And I hate how I, I don't want to make it seem like the white man came and just stole the show around a bunch of black ballers. But I mean, this is a dude who grew up in Brooklyn who like got his street credit. Like he had like a red carpet in the projects with like the other athletes he knew because they could say saw him on the court. So nobody's going to fuck with him. So like, so he was able to sleep over at friends places in neighborhoods that just like were very dangerous because Chris was a monster on the court. And so he was just going off about just like, because they were talking about who could score more. And Chris was like... He's like, we're in Brooklyn. There's a million courts. He was like, what are we doing in here? He was like, I can fucking bust you right now. Let's go. And, and, and it's like, and he's like, he's got a lot of personality. They joked. They laughed a lot. What's funny about them, that is like the only era of time for which I actually watch basketball. Oh, that's funny. And like, I told Rod, I'm like, Rod, the good thing about it is you're interviewing a lot of these guys. It's like, I mean, you want to talk about Mark Price? I can go all day. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, but when you start talking about like, yo, what's Igudal putting up every or Igudal is not even a new name. You know what I'm saying? That's how it goes on. He's bad. still playing though. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Or like, or Ubre, or I'm not paying attention to. But Rod and them actually pushed me back towards paying more attention to basketball. Oh yeah. In terms of like, yeah, because I mean, at first, like, I don't know. My whole thing about like, I watch basketball literally every night. I, yeah. I'm obsessed with the NBA. It's, you know what? I'm more obsessed. We are more obsessed with about the NBA is like they're so, they're just they're so dramatic. Yeah. The, the like I mean the the Wizards locker room is a is we a place we can't talk about the Wizards. <laughs> There's no points talking about the Wizards. They are a trash heap of a franchise. So many locker, but also so many locker rooms are just so like just listening listening to um that was the best part about the podcast is talk like hearing guys talk about like. The beef that would take place, stuff yeah. on the road. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, LeBron would talk about how Rob would forget, like, his $90,000 check that would be on, like, he was like, he was like, this dude just forgets the check. What happened to a direct deposit? Uh, and, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's co- such a cool thing to be a producer, to be like an audio producer. You get to be a fly on the wall yeah, to the so many interesting conversations, interact with so many interesting people because they need you. Like, you are the conduit between. These people, their thoughts, their words, and the public. Yeah. So we get to be involved in so many interesting conversations. Just listen. And if we have our ears open, sometimes we can really learn interesting stuff from these people. Yeah. That's one of the great joys, I think, of being in this profession. Now, we're talking about a show that you had produced and you're still yeah. invo- it's still involved with. Not anymore. Oh, I, not- I let it go. Okay. But well, the- I maybe I I'm still trying to I I'm 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 team Rod Strickland all the way. I love in it. In Players Association. Shout out to Chris Chen. Okay. <laughs> but you have also pivoted now to focus more on booking. Oh yeah. As like a serious thing in your career and something that I, I mean to hear you talk about it, it feels like it may very well be like the next big thing. Yeah. So talk to me about booking. Like how did you how did you go from working on booking people for Madcap to now representing artists and trying to book them in venues and on tours? All right, so 
Davon Bryant, you know what I'm saying? Like, Our dear brother. Yeah, yeah. AKA Dream, Dreamcast. Dreamcast, first time we met, was a photographer at, at Sweet Life Festival. Wanted to just, wanted to, wanted to photograph Chromeo. You know what I'm saying? I don't even know what outlet Davon was there for. Davon told me he was there at the time for BET. The years later, he told me he was there for somebody else. That's hilarious. So, which is how I would have done it. Classic. <laughs> Absolutely classic. He had asked me to do booking for him. And first I was like, uh, I, I have too much on the plate. Meanwhile, I would use him for things. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, all right, well, we have something here. So how about you do this? Like I put him, or we definitely had him do something at um, at DuPont Underground. Mm-hmm. And also when I saw him perform at, um, when we used to have that that art studio, when we, when we do, 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 the, do the month a year. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? At dance, what was it? What was studio? What was it? Uh, we, it was called Studio 21 on the Monroe Street exactly. Market Arts Walk. And we, we curated some uh, some evenings of music exactly. in the studio. And yeah. Dave On had always been like, let me DJ, let me DJ, let me DJ. Then we let him DJ and it sounded pretty good. Absolutely. It sounded really, I remember. And so the Funk Parade, we needed somebody for that. And so like, put him with the help of Modi and Quinn, you know what I'm saying, from Trilectro guys in DC to BC who also grown on the to do things for Epic Records and yeah. Capitol Records. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Shout out to all three of those guys Absolutely. and how they landed. Love it. Uh, and so, like, put him on there, and Davon was like, yo, he again, he revisited this. And that's when, like, Davon was, like, a performer. I saw him as the band and his comfort on stage at the Lincoln Theater. You know what I'm saying? And my neighbor, Geary, who hates everything, you know what I'm saying? Like, was like, this guy gave me a... He was like, who's the guy? He was like, the chubby guy. He was like, he gave me a... And Javon was slapping his eye. He was like, he gave me a heartbeat. That's awesome. And I was like, what? And yeah. Javon, I mean, and Gary only likes jazz. And like, he's still... He's still like, twins jazz is still... Will never be what it was. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so like... Yeah. Um, finally, Davon was like... Uh, we talked about it again. I was like, all right, I'll do this. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And what I, what I wasn't prepared for was for the amount of um, work it was going to be in terms of like incoming booking requests incoming yeah the majority of that stuff early on was incoming and it's so funny is like i feel like i was the worst early on i was the most confused booking agent ever because davon still was almost at this point was almost like a little brother you mm-hmm. know what i'm saying i wasn't fully digesting the artistry so people were requesting i'm like wait wait you want to pay what for for, for what you know what I'm saying? <laughs> i wouldn't tell him no but i'm just reading it i would respond but i'm like yo i'm like you want to pay what for who yeah i'm like i'm like what is going on out here yeah you know what i'm saying it's, it's and so and look where we are now meanwhile we're we we have gotten back from i mean a month ago we did i think he did about 10 like eight to ten dates in, in Europe. You know what I'm saying? I've sent him I've sent him all over. Like basically my role is like venue reaches out, um, or pitch a venue, set up an arrangement, get him there to perform, whether it's a DJ set or the band. And so we go to Europe. He starts off in Italy. I fly out for Amsterdam because he was performing at Supersonic Jazz Festival at Paradiso. Paradiso is like nine thirty club is like the nine thirty club of Amsterdam. Cool. And so like um uh, yeah, because I don't know what other venues they have there, to be yeah, honest. But yeah. like that place, that it's like an old church, about twelve hundred. You know what I'm saying that they that they redid. Cool. And so, um, Davon's DJing at this record shop, this record store that they nearby. That the promoter, he was like, he should do this. He's DJing this thing, and it's, there's a few kids like waiting, just like like literally like want to get records signed. And I'm like, I'm like, who, I'm like, who is this kid? <laughs> and like, and so like, uh, from getting an understanding how what that looked like what it looks like to route somebody throughout how you send somebody across the globe um what it what it takes in terms of travel in terms of like anything you can when you just when you're just moving people you know for performances basically from that i was able to i was like you know what i'm like all right with well, this work so let me also try to work there's a few other people that I might actually want to do this for uh in addition to this and so um there's 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 a few things at work that that are at play here when you do this because the majority of artists are just too close to it. Mm-hmm. So if a venue right. tells them no, it hurts. Mm-hmm. You know 
You know, like they went, I mean, Dave might even said he was like, he was like, yo, he was like, he was like, he was like, Dave, you can talk that shit. And he was like, cause he was like, somebody tells me this. I'm like, fuck you, blah, blah, blah. Cause I, it's like, cause like your emotion is so tired of you. Like you really like, listen, give me a chance to perform here. Why won't you let me in? Right. This is my art. This is my soul. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Where for me, I am, I can be detached and be more like a finance person about it's it. It's business. Exactly. Being like, yo, can you do, what's the size of the room? Can you do it? What's your budget? Mm-hmm. If this is going to work, we'll make this work. If not, we'll look at another date. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so like. Back to your initial point. Point earlier in the podcast about not popping off on oh, people. Oh, you can't. Fuck no. You'll get closed off. Yeah. You know, you can pop off. You can do that if you're a venue owner. Sure. Those are, they, they can act crazy, but you can't do, because you get closed off for markets. Yeah. You got to use, you, I mean, like, and, and so, like, basically started working. So, I have, I've added other clients to the mix. So, there's a rock and roll, so, rock and roll band called Lady God. You are hot on these guys. You talk about this band all the time. I do. They, they are a motley crew of characters. They are, we all... <laughs> We all fit because I feel like all, each of us has a checkered past <laughs> uh, and like are trying to make it right, you know? Yeah. And uh, the only one who doesn't. Redemption, seeking redemption. Yeah, the only one who doesn't is Seth, who's the drummer, who's 21. Right. Who's just like, it's like, and he's probably going to be one who, who blows us all the way. Because, I mean, because he's 21 and these guys have like, they've like, they've really put in work to be, to, and like Seth is right there along with them. And it's just like, they, but Seth doesn't have... Seth didn't have to go through the life troubles mm-hmm. that you know what I'm saying to get to make the guitar sound that way to make <laughs> to make the narrative and the and the song sound that way. Seth can just really just live a fruitful and artistic <laughs> life. So yeah, so Lady God, they got an album coming out. I I don't think the t- song title is decided. Um, I mean, it's an album title. So they got a show. See plug shows. They got a show at Songbird in DC on the um on on January 9th. They get Brooklyn Brewery. January twelfth, there's a Midwest tour where they're hitting um, for a little Midwest. Then we're back in Europe. The Midwest tour where they're hitting um, Indianapolis, uh, Columbus, Ohio, Lexington, Kentucky, Chicago. Um, then doing stuff out west. And what I and like what I realize is like these acts like musicians aren't aren't built by New York and L.A. They're built by small venues in Columbus. They're built by Pittsburgh. They're built by Minneapolis. They're built by all these towns. Your rock, favorite rock and roll band or stuff like that. People just think New York and LA. It's like, no. Their booking agent might be there. You know what I'm saying? But they have to be able to send them to fucking Tucson. You know what I'm saying? And stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. If they can't play yeah. that 500-person room or bigger than that, then like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you need all those things. So it's interesting. That's what I'm more interested in. That's, that's what I've been more excited about is working with these venues because like, the dudes I'm dealing with in Lexington, Kentucky, I like those dudes. I've never met them. I want to go so I can meet these dudes from Lexington, Kentucky. That's really I had cool. never had a fucking reason to go to Lexington, Kentucky in my life. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, but now I'm like, yo, I want to see Lexington, Kentucky because yeah. I want to see what type of room this is. Yeah. Uh, so, so there, so Lady God added an artist named S. Fidelity. He's an artist based in Berlin. He's, he's a DJ producer, but also has a live setup. Added a uh, Americana artist, or they call it Urban Rock. Her name is her, her name is Laura Reed. She's based out of Nashville. Nice. She's got some pipes. I first recorded her at Dupont Underground. Then I okay. reached back out. I'm like, what are you up? I'm like, what, what's what's your story these days? And so like a lot of a lot of the people right now I'm working with are people that are pretty much everybody's kind of the same in that everybody's gotten like industry nods, but they haven't told their full story yet. And so it's perfect because we're all this we're like all in the same place. You know what I'm saying? And so it's just like so like they've looked at other bigger agencies and stuff like that. And it's just like they don't want to get sidelined. I'm like, I'm like, I'm actually gonna work for it for you all. I'm actually gonna work for it. So uh adding more, adding some folks that do some stuff in um because I want to do some stuff not just in music, but do some stuff that help people do some stuff in comedy and also do some stuff like playwrights and stuff like that. There's a playwright I'm working with now. I've worked with it before. It's got Mike Flegg. You know what I'm saying? And so he's writing. I won't tell the play that he's writing, but it's 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 a 
it's it's I think it's, I think he might actually have something have something um, comedians see if they'll move do some stuff with because with, uh, I had tried to do this with visual artists but then I don't know if it would work helping them get in venues because like I said like a lot of like a lot of artists just don't know how to send like short emails it's way too long it's like it's like even when you get something anytime somebody sends you a fucking essay about like we want to do this it's like all right because I've you've done de- we've done deals for like where you say very little. And then you send this. You send a contract. That's where the lettering is. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's where the essay is. Yep. In the contract, read that. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, <laughs> people that are very short, they do a lot of work. They do it's very quick. You know what I'm saying? And then, and you can move on. When people send these long stuff, then people start questioning. It's like it's almost you're tra- you're trying to overexplain. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, um, a lot of I noticed that a lot of there's just a lot of artists that kind of just are, get stuck in a ditch because um, they have like so when I reach out to Sky. I was like, yo, is anybody doing it? He's like, no, nobody's doing it. We don't have, he's like, I tell my friends, I'm trying to imitate his voice, so stop, stop doing that. He's like, I try to tell my friends what to say sometimes. He's like, he's like, I have nobody. You know what I'm saying? And like, who's Sky? Sky's with Lady God. Okay. My bad. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I have nobody. It was not hard for me to get him booked. I just needed to, he just needed to come through somebody else. Yeah. And so other, and so he could have been, I mean, like, of course they might have figured it out, but there are, there are other artists that literally would just be like, fucking just kicking rocks for a long period of time because they have no idea how to even position themselves to be able to start earning a living for their work and and it's frustrating because as a person who's trying to push myself artistically as well it's like some a lot of these artists they can't like, they can't they can't get a job working on the fucking railroads or anything like they're not gonna they can't do this other, it's like i always tell people all the time i'm like imagine prince had to sit up in a cubicle yeah fuck he might that. shoot that whole fucking place yeah you know i'm saying like i'm like like they, i'm like people like some people like people like some people are out here doing this other stuff because they can't do it. There's ment- all sorts of mental stuff. They can't fucking do it. So I was like, so me, it's so funny. I'm like stuck in the middle because some of my friends who are just way more buttoned down and corporate, they think I'm just like a wonderless hippie. Then to the artist, like, they think I'm a fucking suit. Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like, man, y'all have no idea. I don't fit anywhere. But because of that, I can actually, I'm, I'm a better liaison for them than maybe themselves. I so. love it. I love it. So it's hopefully like, it'll be the next chapter. You have found a way to like combine your past experiences and fold them on top of each other and stand on them yeah. in a place that you can traverse worlds yeah. for the benefit of artists and the business community. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. I love listening to you talk about this. <laughs> What's your company called? Forest and Farms. Forest and Farms. Yeah, Forest and Farms. Yeah. Remember the name. Yeah, Forest and Farms, yeah. Forest and Farms LLC. <laughs> yeah, Forest and Farms. I love it. Yeah. All right, well, the last thing I want to talk about is this trip I got to take to Jordan. Okay, all right. Because the idea of kind of folding these experiences on each other and the ending up in a surprising place, this is kind of where I'm ending up right now. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to you basically in between jobs. I mean, I'm not working right now. Yeah, but you know you're going to be... I do, because I went back to work after Panoply um, laid everybody off. I went back to work from my old boss, this mm-hmm. woman named Ellen Weiss, who I absolutely love, love working for her. She hooked me up with this lady who's now her executive producer named Suzanne Reber. Mm-hmm. And Suzanne had a story that I'm not going to talk a ton about on this podcast because it's going to become a show next year. But Suzanne has been shepherding this investigative story for a long time with a group of reporters from Europe who have control of a story that is like amazing. And so we worked together for five weeks to build this pilot. And it was one of the most intense creative experiences I've ever had because she had so much invested in it personally, not just monetarily, but like personally and heart and soul. And then 
the protagonists of the story were very open and very bold and very brave in terms of telling their story. And then we have these reporters who are the custodians of it. So everybody has pushed their chips in yeah. the table on this story. And it was kind of up to me to make sure that I was able to translate it sonically to the brass, basically, at Stitcher to say, this show is worth doing. Wow. So we, were, me and Suzanne worked together really intensely for five weeks, and it ended up being tremendously well-received. Wow. And so yes. now it's getting greenlit to a point that some of these executives have said, and I heard that they, they said it was the best pilot they've ever heard, which is like amazing to hear and lets me know that, okay, they're not just going to replace me with some other producer. Yeah. They're going to bring me on, and, and I haven't signed a contract yet, so knock wood, but hopefully this is going to happen, uh, and they want it to come out in the summertime. Okay. So, in working together, Suzanne and I developed this trust and this affinity for each other. And she was supposed to go to this international journalism conference, investigative journalism conference in Jordan. Suddenly, for a personal reason, she was not able to go. And so, rather than send somebody who had real knowledge about the Arab countries and Arab culture and journalism, she sent me because she considered me a podcasting expert. Mm -hmm. And I have worked in the business side, the editorial side, yeah. and I'm an actual producer, like a creative. So she sent me, and my job was to go and give a 90-minute workshop about, it's called The Power of Podcasting, a practical workshop, hmm. and then do a panel about the future of Arab podcasting, which I know nothing, oh, okay. I know right. nothing about, but I was with two guys, and they know a lot about it. And it was moderated by this guy, uh, Amjad Tadros, who works for CBS in oh, really? based in Jordan. That's great. Oh, he's he's awesome. So the panel ended up great, and I didn't have to do a whole lot other than talk about kind of the industry as I knew it and some trends that I could see going forward. But the workshop was the real heavy lift. Yeah. So I was able to like write this long presentation, put it all together, and I prepared. I kind of actually I played a number of clips from Madcap. Oh yeah, you, I, I, you watched some of the. Um, you showed us some. I'm sure you, you can put a clip of of your open in here. Yeah, I'll throw a clip in there uh, <laughs> of, of, of one your of the. Open was ridiculous. Which open? The way you opened your your speech it was deep and philosophical. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's right. That's right. The the, the quote that I put. In there. Yeah, I feel like if you knew, if you're just because people get so tired of saying those things, you could be like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see where this goes. Yeah, <laughs> I was not holding back. Exactly. I was not playing it safe. <laughs> no, you didn't. I found a wonderful quote that I think uh, sums up the way I think about sound quite well. There is in souls a sympathy with sounds. And as the mind is pitched, the ear is pleased with melting airs or martial, brisk or grave. Some chord in unison with what we hear is touched within us, and the heart replies. William Cowper, an English poet, 1731 to 1800. What does this mean? It means that through sound, and specifically through podcasting in this case, we can reach through our devices and touch the hearts of our audience. So I was able to go a week early, and my wife Maya and I, we went, we traveled all over the country, mm -hmm. and we went to Petra, the ancient city that's now one of the modern wonders of the world, 
It was mind-blowing. I'd actually been there before. Gabe Silverman and I went 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. We went to Israel, and then we crossed over into Jordan. So being back in Petra 10 years later, nice. I was like, wow. 10 years, baby. Yeah, I was like, this That's is, an- crazy. This is a pil- another pilgrimage. And how has my life changed? Now I'm here with my wife. Like All the things that have happened professionally and personally, it was a really a profound experience. And That's so, dope. yeah, and I don't, I don't know how this story is going to end because the connections I was able to make there were like amazing. And knowing that our project had gotten greenlit, I found out when I was in Jordan at the Dead Sea Hilton where mm-hmm. this conference took place. First of all, let me say that it's called Arij, Arab Reporters for Investigative Journalism. Mm-hmm. They're an incredible group. They train journalists from the Middle East and North Africa to report on their countries in Arabic, mm-hmm. which is incredibly dangerous. I mean, case in point, Jamal Khashoggi, whose name was all over this conference. And in fact, the opening event was started with a, a video message from Karen Atia and Fred Hyatt, the editors from the opinion section at the Washington Post. And I had recently applied for a job at the Washington Post, which I did not get. Mm-hmm. But the synchronicity of all that was just like smacking me in the face. The, the synchronicity of it all has pushed me to not just be a presenter there, but I became a student there. And I sat and listened to some incredible journalists and trainers talk about the work that they had done and tactics for how to research things and how to ask good questions in interview settings. Julian Scher was probably my favorite of the trainers, this Canadian journalist who yeah. you would absolutely love. Why? One of, well, one of his big lessons was if you are asking an important person a question, A, don't give them any easy outs, and B, once you have asked the question and the question mark has come out of your mouth, stop talking. People often try to give so much context that they miss the opportunity just to ask a simple, plain question and then let the subject answer it however they're going to answer it. Yeah. Here's another good trick that he said. When you're asking an important person a question and they give you an answer that doesn't really matter, he takes notes. And then when they give an answer that's something perhaps fiery, like something that actually is going to matter, he stops writing. And he looks at them and he'll actually have the conversation person to person. And what that does is transmits two things. One, you can kind of like treat me like I'm a person. I'm just listening to what you're saying, which is more deeply engaging than reporter subject. And also, if you're not writing, they may ease off a little bit and think, okay, well, I can just speak without this being the moment of the interview. Yeah. But really, you've got your recorder running anyway. So you're transmitting to them to like keep going. Because if you start furiously writing notes, they may have a little red flag in their mind like, oh, let me pull back a bit. Yeah. When that is the key moment where you need them to keep going. And the final session that I was able to attend, so I went as a presenter, but I also became a student because I learned that this investigative project was going to actually happen. So I'm like, now I'm going to use this opportunity to learn from these incredible experts. This one guy, Jeff Stein, he did this whole thing about let's treat the internet like one giant data leak and let's use artificial intelligence to uncover connections between like Russian oligarchs and the board of directors of these shady companies that they sit on. Because in so many cases, you still have to submit annual financial reports, even if you're a shady company involved in underhanded stuff. And it takes so many hours to uncover some of these connections. But if you use AI and machine learning, 
you can treat all the available information out there like one giant leak and find ways to synthesize the information and make plain what would have taken months, years of reporters' time to figure out. Wow. So this conference completely just cracked my mind open in terms of what is possible going forward. I mean, I've been... Is it, is it annual? Yeah. We should go next year. Absolutely. I'm now I'm now I want to go. Now I want to be a part of this. Yeah. Like I want I'm I'm gonna you should reach out now. And I, I, I followed everybody who on on social media who was speaking. I mm. met as many people as I could. I mean it was kind of interesting to try to like be in this scenario that I was unfamiliar with. I don't speak the language. I'm a white American Jew. And I'm mm. like I'm rolling into the into Jordan, into an Arab country, and like trying to just play in this space. But the great part is what I realized, and part of the kind of fears and prejudices I had to get over to even agree to go, I realized underneath all those identity things I just mentioned is really like a a commitment to the truth. Yeah. And everybody there was committed to the same thing. It was not about nationality. It was not about race, gender, background. It was about this is our time here on earth, and all these people are gathered to do one thing, tell the truth and advance that cause in a place that don't, doesn't have a First Amendment. They don't have press protections. And in our country and in the West, these things are eroding very fast. Yeah. So we all find ourselves kind of in the same boat. And the only thing we can really do is to continue to tell the story. If the story matters, keep telling it and get allies around the world who can help you to advance and lift up that story. Because shaming the despots and the, the would-be dictators of the world it can have power because they want to be seen and respected in the world and if you illuminate their dirty deeds sometimes that is actually the best weapon against corruption and and misdeeds so i don't know how my story is going to end i don't think you know how your story is going to end <laughs> no i don't but what's beautiful is we continue to return to this place of reflection and analysis and celebration celebrating continuing to give it a go yeah we're still here (laughs) we're still here and even though it feels like we've already been through like several lifetimes worth of work and ups and downs and changes I I hope and believe that we are still at the beginning really of what we're going to be able to accomplish absolutely I think so I think so Thank you for joining me. Thanks, David. (laughs) No problem. Thank you. Proud of you. Likewise. And let's just keep it going. Exactly. Exactly.